Good morning, Southern Hills. Um, for those that don't know, my name is Justin Dabney. I come from Springfield, Missouri, and I have been, I've had the privilege to uh, come alongside your elders and your teaching elder, Kyle, and serve alongside them the past three months. And let me tell you, it has been an extreme joy and privilege. Um, I was just having a discussion with the elders last night. You know, they were asking me about my, my experience up here in Custer, experience with my internship, and I almost broke down in tears just because it, my experience here has been so great. You guys have been so loving, uh, self-serving to me, and you know, it's just gotten to the point where I don't have a desire to leave. Um, and so, you know, if you guys have room in your house somewhere, you know, if you're, we, maybe we could figure this out, right? Um, I'm going to miss serving here. I'm going to miss interacting with all of you. I've had the privilege to teach Bible Hour for the last uh, three months, and I, I pray and hope that it's been beneficial to you as much as it's been beneficial to me. And so, here we are. We're at the end of it. And, you know, time kind of flies by pretty quick. I... I was joking around with, with Kyle, you know, like on, when I first came up here to Custer, I knew it was a small town, you know, population under, slightly under 2,000, and I'm coming from a slightly bigger city, not slightly, large, yeah. largely. And I told Kyle, I was like, you know, the one thing I'll probably kind of miss is the easy access to all the fast food restaurants <laughs> in Springfield. Little did I know that I would become addicted to a place called Burger and Bun. <laughs> And so now it's flipped. I'm going to go back to Springfield completely missing out on things like Burger and Bun, Maria's, Calamity Jane's. And so I'll feel like I'll, I'll have missed out more on that. And so there lies my conundrum. But I am thankful for each and every one of you who got to know you very well. Um, another thing I kind of think about, um, I love to teach, I love to preach the word. And for obvious reasons, right? But one less obvious reason, I think I've mentioned it in Bible Hour, is it's my one opportunity, one opportunity to feel taller than everyone else. <laughs> I love it. It's great. So, you know, you got to seize those moments. But uh, let's jump into our text this morning. This morning, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. We're talking about bearing one another's burdens, bearing one another's burdens. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. So before we dive into the text, um, and this is kind of indicative of my upbringing in a fundamental independent Baptist church, is that if you mentioned the word fellowship anywhere at church, you know, what what does it typically entail? What does that typically mean when you, when you mention the word fellowship? Typically, in my upbringing, and not so much different from here, right, it typically means a meal. It typically means donuts, hopefully, right, coffee, orange juice, breakfast items, you, you name it, just food. And I grew up with that mentality. You know, I, I would look forward to moments of fellowship with my, my church family, but it was just relegated to really just food and just hanging out with my buddies, my friends. 
But I think that definition of fellowship, if you, you would probably agree with me that it's too thin. And unfortunately, that is the most common definition or thinking among people when you mention that we're going to have fellowship. We're going to meet together. We're going to hang out and have fellowship. And like I said, that, that meaning is too thin, especially in light of Scripture. So in Scripture, there are at least 35 one another's. 35 one another's. And if we read these, I think we can start to gain a sense or see that there is a lot more to this fellowship. That there is, it's just, it's way more than just a meal together. And so let me read them for you. And like in our passage where we are commanded to bear one another's burdens, I'm going to ask you this morning to bear with me as I read these one another commands in the New Testament. Be devoted to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Living in harmony with one another, do not judge but build up one another. Welcome one another, instruct one another, don't sue one another. Care for one another, don't provoke or envy one another. Bear one another's burdens, like in our passage this morning. Speak truthfully to one another, be kind to one another. Forgive one another, be in submission to one another. Once again, bear with one another's burdens. Teach and, and admonish one another. Increase and abound in love for one another. Comfort one another. Encourage and build up one another. Be at peace with one another. Seek good for one another. Pray for one another. Stir one another up. Do not speak against one another. Do not grumble against one another. Confess your sins to one another. Be hospitable to one another. Serve one another. Be humble toward one another. Greet one another. And if you were to read the rest of that, it's greet one another with a holy kiss. So I don't know if anybody's up for that, but I'm kind of a germaphobe there, so don't do that with me. But still, greet one another. Have fellowship with one another. Don't deprive one another in a marriage relationship. Wait for one another. Consider one another. Don't lie to one another. So if you get to the end of this message with me, and you get tired of hearing the one another, bear with me. So you start to get the sense that you can't really accomplish this level of relationship in the way that we typically or often interact with each other today in our churches. Right? We stand and we greet one another for maybe two minutes tops. We pass each other in the hallways. Throughout the rest of the week, we may not be seeing one another. So the question we have to ask ourselves in light of our text this morning is how in the world can we engage at this same level that the New Testament commands us to do? How can we accomplish what God is commanding here? What God is commanding us to do when we essentially have such a superficial surface level way to look at our relationships in our churches? 
right? There's a sense in which we have to understand that this goes well beyond just our corporate gatherings on Sunday morning in our worship services. There's so much happening on a particular Sunday morning, right? It's, it's going to come down to our small group meetings and intentionally and aggressively connecting with others throughout the week and not just at small group meetings, right? Or corporate gatherings on a Sunday morning. It's going to take intentional thought with aggressive application, which brings us to our passage in Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. You know, some people say that everything one needs to learn can be learned in kindergarten, you know, the, the very basics, the fundamentals. And so I submit to you this morning, if that is true, then this passage is very important for you and I to understand, for us to grasp. Really, this passage in it lies the very heart of biblical counseling, the one another's. And there are several things that I want you to pay attention to as we work through this particular text. So let's read our passage, and we'll work through some a couple of things in the context. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. Good and gracious Father, Lord, we... We come to you humbly asking you to open up your word in such a way that we can challenge one another. We can fulfill all the one another's. Lord, we love you. We, we thank you for the time that we can spend together now as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we look forward to growing together and we look forward to challenging each other. And we pray that you would use this time we have together in order to help us essentially all take the next step, even in our growth and uh, path towards Christ-likeness. And all these things we ask in your name. Amen. So, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. A couple of things, right? When you're thinking through, initially how to think through a text, there are three things you want to keep in mind in the beginning, right? Context. Context, context. And so the greater context that I want to walk through a couple of things with you is Galatians 5, 13 through 6, 10. That's the greater context. And so there's a couple of things I want to point out in chapter 5 that helps our understanding of our main text. So first, let's think through that context. Like I said, the context of Galatians is chapter 5 verses 13 through our passage this morning. 
it says, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Now, question, what is he talking about here when he says that you have been called to liberty? So when, he's, when he is talking about liberty here, essentially what he's saying is that in the book of Galatians, like the whole book, Paul is arguing for the case of your salvation. And he basically says that you do not have to earn your salvation. You do not have to do anything to keep your salvation. Right? You have been given liberty to live for Jesus Christ. Because the text says in, in, in Galatians earlier, the just shall live by faith. So what is he saying here? God is the one who procures and God is the one who handles your salvation from the moment you seek forgiveness of your sins. So as a result, all of the particular energy you have in a day, right? If, and I, I use this in Bible hour. If we were to think of our energy in a given particular day, this water bottle represents that, right? If you were to think about all the energy that you're given as a, as a result of being in Christ in a particular day, not one ounce, not one drop of this water goes towards procuring and keeping your salvation. And so, as a result of that, the energy that we have can be used to do what the text says for us to do. And what does the text say? It says in verse 13, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh or an occasion for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So what does Paul say here? He says, use not your liberty, your energy, as an occasion for the flesh. And remember, throughout the book of Galatians, the, the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit are contrasted with each other. The works of the flesh representing the works of the law, the Mosaic law, or circumcision of the flesh versus living and working through the Spirit. So what Paul is saying is if you have all this energy in a particular day, do not use that energy to spend on yourself. But it says instead, love one another, serve one another. So you, you have been given liberty. You've been given this energy, and that liberty is supposed to be used to serve one another by love. And then Paul describes what that service is which is what we're going to find in chapter 6. So that's the first thing when considering the context. The second thing I want you to consider is not only do we have this much energy to use to serve each other, but the text says we also have to do one more thing. There's another command in verse 16, if you look with me. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
So the second responsibility we have with all this energy that we're given, that God gives us every day, is to walk by the Spirit. So by love, serve one another and walk in the Spirit. Paul then describes what walking in the Spirit looks like. And he kind of describes it in terms of a battle, which is interesting, right? Flesh versus Spirit. And he says they are contrary. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So essentially, if you are led by the Spirit, and this is what God wants you to do, God provides you the ability to do it, the energy. And this is good news for each and every one of us. We don't have to expel our own energy. There's too much pressure without. And so God provides you the ability to do it. Notice, God never commands you to do anything that he doesn't give you the ability to do. This is good news. And this is part of being a believer, that you and I get to fight in this particular battle, right? It's not, as we look through the book of Galatians these past three months, it's not a matter of earning your salvation. It's not a matter of keeping your salvation. It's a matter of fighting for what's right and what's good. And God provides that opportunity for us every moment of every day in our, in our battle, fighting for what's good and what's right. I'm reminded of a quote, and I won't um, say necessarily where it's from, because I'm not, enti- I don't entirely remember exactly where it's from, but I do remember the quote. It's, it's always stuck with me. Dark and difficult times lie ahead where one must choose between what is right and what is easy. And typically, the right thing and the hard thing are synonymous with each other. And we have this particular battle every day. So what else does he say say in chapter 5? He says, Paul says, the works of the flesh are evident. And then he goes on to describe what those works of the flesh are. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And then he begins to describe those fruits of the Spirit. So this fruit of the Spirit, in contrast, is evidence of someone who is walking in the Spirit. And God says that you have energy every day to complete your goal. And that goal is to walk in the Spirit. And I'll tease that out for you guys a little bit later so that we're not confused. We know what we're talking about. Paul goes on to say this. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit in verse 25 of chapter 5. And so the question you might be asking yourself this morning is, how is that possible, right? We, are, we still struggle with the presence of sin. So how do we walk in the Spirit? If you remember the, the Martin Luther form, uh, form, formula that I presented in Bible Hour a couple weeks ago, Martin Luther came up with this. R.C. Sproul teased it out. But it's, the phrase goes, simul. Hustus et peccator, or peccator, which means simultaneously just and wicked. So how are we supposed to live this out? How is this possible? Look at verse 24. And those 
who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, notice the tense, the flesh with its passions and, de- and desires. It's past tense and it's being done for, it's being, it has been done to you. So the part of you that wants to do your own thing, the part of you that wants to live for you and you alone and not for Christ and not for others, Paul says that part has been crucified and it's part of what God has, what God has done. So now we get to chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And that is where we learn, friends, how it is we serve each other. So let's walk through our text this morning. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So what does this particular particular text mean for us? First, the thing I want to point out is in verse 1, who is he talking to? The text says brothers. He's talking, Paul is talking to brothers, and at large, it's to all Christians everywhere. Right? There isn't any Christian that is exempt from this particular text. So if you are saved... Okay, so, you know, the song, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, right? If you're saved and you know it, right, clap your hands. This is for you. This is for me if you are a believer in Christ this morning. So if you are saved and you know it, this text is for you. It's written to brothers and sisters, or you could say the local church. It's written for you and me. Next in verse 1, he says, you who are spiritual. So he takes it another step, right? It's not just for all Christians everywhere, but it's for Christians. And then another step beyond that, you who are spiritual. So Paul then describes those people as those who are spiritual. So what is and who is the spiritual person? And you guys are asking so many good questions. (laughs) Who is this spiritual person? The spiritual person in this particular text is from chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. The person who is walking in the Spirit. So in other words, if you walk in the Spirit, the text would mean then you are that spiritual person. Now there's one thing to really pay attention to. He doesn't say, you who are perfect... He doesn't say, you who have everything together, who've got it all together. He doesn't say, you who do not have any struggles whatsoever. What does he say? He says, you who are spiritual. So instead, he describes the person who is walking in the spirit. Right? If, if it were the case of perfection, if it were the case of any of us that have our lives together, we would all fail miserably. And that's a testament to God's grace and mercy, but really a testament to how we ought to treat each other in patience and love and mercy and kindness. So you who are walking in the Spirit, you are using that energy, right, that God has given you every day. You're using that in a way to serve 
Christ and serve other people, you who are spiritual. Again, in verse 1, Paul explains further. So you who are spiritual, he then describes those people, those spiritual people are watching. They're keeping watch. What are they keeping watch? For if a person is caught or overtaken or overwhelmed in any transgression or sin, the text says. So what does Paul mean by if you are caught or if you are overtaken in a transgression? What is Paul talking about? He's talking about someone who has been caught in sin or someone who can't get out of their sinful condition, whatever it may be. It gives you the sense of someone that is utterly trapped and overwhelmed. We know, right, of big things like drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Maybe sometimes it's, it's those that lack of forgiveness, for better word. It may be someone that's struggling or just caught in the middle of lustful thoughts and actions. There's all kinds of ways people get caught in sin. And it could be an inner man's sin of the heart. It could be an outer man's sin of the heart where it expresses itself and manifests itself, where it's something that you can see and something that uh, someone does. But the idea here is that this person is caught in sin. And... So the question is, what is our responsibility as brothers, as sisters in Christ, as those who are part of the body of Christ, those who are walking in the Spirit? What is our responsibility for the person who is overtaken in that trespass? Again, in verse 1, our responsibility is to restore. Our responsibility is to restore that person. So in chapter 6, verse 1, Here we see it's a command to restore that person. So what does it mean to restore? What does restore mean? The shortened version is it means to bring someone back to the place of usefulness, to the body of Christ. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 19, and I'll illustrate that point through this passage. Mark chapter 1, verse 19. I think the connection that is made between these two passages is that in Mark chapter 1, right, we, we, find, we come to a scene with Jesus and his disciples. And they are, by all intents and purposes, fishermen of the day. So in verse 17, it says this. It says that they're out... Fishing, and Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so in verse 18, the text essentially says that they immediately left their nets and followed him, followed Christ. And in verse 19, it says, and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets, or mending the nets, 
And so that is our word that is used here in Galatians chapter 6 for restore. It's the word mending, fixing, repairing, restoring. It's to bring something or someone back to a place of usefulness. The text goes on and says, you know, after they fish all night, they pull their nets up and they inspect them. They retie them. They do whatever is necessary to make it where it's useful again. So while in in the sense of Galatians 6, what Paul is saying is that we are to, the goal of restoration, the goal of this passage is to restore. To bring someone back to the place of usefulness. This person that this text is describing is caught, is trapped in sin. Right? This person is not having victory as a Christian. This person is not being able to serve God and others well. Why? Because there is something in their life that they are under the grip of. They are trapped, the text says. So the goal we have is to help that person become useful again. The goal is to help them, is to restore them into the body of Christ. And so the question again is, how are we supposed to restore that person? How are we supposed to restore that individual? We are supposed to do that, the text says, in a spirit of self-control and in gentleness. So if you notice in the text, back to chapter 6, it says, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The idea idea here is gentle as you have self-control. Right? You, you manage the way you touch something. That's with gentleness. So if, if someone were to hand you right, fine china or maybe uh, a family heirloom, you know that that is precious to them. You know that it's important to them. And so you understand that you are going to take it, you're going to hold it, you're going to You're going to do everything in your power, and you're going to use gentleness because you know that it's important to that person, that fine china, that heirloom. Well, it's it's similar here in our text. He He says to restore or help others work with other people. And he says, do that with a spirit of gentleness or a spirit of self control. The that is God's goal for us in the way that we would seek to help other people. So he goes on to say this, do it with a spirit of gentleness. And then the next thing that Paul says, he says also in humility. It says keep watch on yourself or consider yourself lest you too be tempted. Right? We want to do that. We want to check our own life. We want to examine our own lives. Why? We're going to make sure that we are not also right in the same situation to where we ourselves can get caught in a similar sin, the text says. So 
we have to make sure we are paying attention to our own hearts here. And this is vitally important. Right? Notice in verse 3. It says, For anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I think that's, that's important for us to know. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you, have your, if you have your Bibles, turn there. If you haven't noticed by now, in, Paul, in a lot of Paul's letters, he likes to repeat himself, and very intentionally so. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, notice verse 6. And he, Paul is essentially giving a commentary on the wilderness wanderings with Israel in the Old Testament. In verse 6, he says, Now these things took place examples, as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual, sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Notice verse 11, the repetition of verse 6. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. Paul wants us to consider our own lives because it's, it's vitally important for us. In the process of restoration. So, verse 2, what else does the text say in chapter 6 of Galatians? In verse 2, he says to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. So when Paul talks about bearing burdens here, he's talking about Boulder bearing, like something as heavy as a giant boulder, right? We, we talked about in verse 1, someone who is caught in a sin. And so Paul essentially kind of switches gear, gears here a little bit. It's not the same person that is caught in a sin, but it's the person that is bearing a tremendous burden. And he says to bear one another, another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? This is a burden that is too heavy for someone to carry by themselves, right? It may be related to the sin issue in verse 1, or it may not be related to the sin. The text really doesn't say, and the context really doesn't say, and so we really can't just blanket statement call it that this burden bearing is related to sin. Here we are talking about all burdens that people carry. And the text says that we want to help them carry these. We want to help the, we want to help them to carry these burdens. And this is commonly called shoulder in biblical counseling, right? This is typically called shoulder to shoulder ministry. Right? We carry, we bear one another's burdens. We understand that this is hard work. We do our best to help people in any number of things, but 
we're going to go out there and serve alongside people as shoulder to shoulder. It's not easy work. In fact, honestly, this is probably the messiest part of living life together, is dealing with each other's burdens. But what does the text say? It says we are and we should be an entire church of burden bearers at some level. So when we do this, we do the act of burden bearing, what does the text say? It says it fulfills the law of Christ. So how does that help us? Well, it helps us because remember in verses 13 through 15, there are two things that we are supposed to do in this text. And what are those two things? The first thing is by love, serve people. By love, serve people. It says, when you lovingly serve people, verse 14 of chapter 5, the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall, what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in chapter 6, when Paul says, go and bear burdens, and also restore people and bear burdens, when you do that kind of work, that is essentially when you're using the energy that God has given you to actually serve others well, right? There's a, there's a dynamic going on, right? So fulfill the law of Christ. You love God. There's your vertical relationship with God. And in so doing love God, it will be reflected in your horizontal relationships. Bear one another's burdens. And this is essential for us. This is essential for the church. This is essential for you as an individual. It's essential for believers. It's essential for you and I as we seek to love people well. It's, like I said before, it's not easy work. In fact, it's hard work, but God calls us to it. And it kind of lightens the load a little bit, right? Despite the fact that it's hard work, God has given us the energy to do the hard work. Verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. Now you might be looking at verse 5 initially and thinking this kind of contradicts verse, verse 1 where it talks about bearing each other's burdens. Verse 2. It says for each one will bear his own load. So what does that word load mean, right? It's different from bearing burdens in verse 1 and 2. Load means that it's a backpack burden. This is more personal, right? It's in that word that we get the sense of you having to carry your own load. It's the daily burdens that we carry. It's the things that are essential for Christian living and living with each other. It's our own responsibility that we have that in, the, in the certain gifts that God has given each and every one of us. It's the things that are essential. So we do this when we walk alongside people. We do this while we help those that are struggling. We are responsible to carry our own backpack. But there is a sense that we carry what is necessary what is needed. Jesus, in 
Matthew says, come unto me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Right? There is a yoke. There is a yoke, and there is a responsibility that we have. There's a backpack that we all carry. So that is important that we are managing our own load while we seek to serve and help others. So as far as implications, right, I always ask this question, and if you've been in Bible Hour, you know, you're familiar with this. What does this text mean for me? Why do I need this passage? Why do you and I need this passage? A couple of implications is first is that this passage is for everyone in the church. It's for everyone, right? There isn't in any individual that is outside of the responsibility of helping people or helping restore people and bearing burdens while they also bear their own load. And while doing it, walk in humility and gentleness. And so you might be asking, why is this the case, right? Why is this the case? Because it is written to all people. So once again, back to that illustration, God gives us the energy and expects you to use that energy in the way of serving others. This is for every person in the church, right? There aren't just a few people that counsel. I find it funny oftentimes, like, you know what, I'm not, people often say I'm not competent to counsel. You know, realistically, you give counsel every day. Everyone counsels. You have to decide whether your counsel, your, your message is a good one or a bad one. Every single one of you counsels. So there's not just a few people who are supposed to do this special ministry, right? 100% of the church body, if you have been saved, if you are in Christ, God gives you that energy. So if God gives you that energy, then he expects you to go and serve other people. And may I say, right, this is not necessarily indicative of this church, but it's definitely rampant in the U.S. This church has been so loving and so serving to me, and I commend you for that. Keep on going. Second implication is that this begins with your own heart, right? It begins with self-counsel. So if you're not self-counseling, if you're not carefully walking in the Spirit, as the text says in verses 16 through 26 of chapter 5, if you are like in verse 25, which says, if you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and live as if your passions and desires have been crucified, right, put to death, then we understand that how important that is. Paul says in this passage, consider or examine yourself lest you are also tempted in, cha- in chapter 6, verse 3. He goes on to say, if you think yourself to be something when, he, when you are nothing, you are deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. Verse 4, but let each one test his own work or examine his own work. So the idea here is that we do this crucial work. Every single one of you. 
we do this hard work of self-counsel. And we are doing it while we are working on helping restore other people and bearing one another's burdens. Third implication is this, when people are overtaken, help them. Right? Don't just stand on the sidelines. Don't just say, that's not my business. Help them in a spirit of gentleness and humility. Right? This is not just for the next guy. It's, it's not just for the certified biblical counselor. This is a command to each and every one of you. God has called every person in the church to do this ministry. There isn't one of us that is exempt from what God calls us to do in this particular text. And so it's weighty, it's heavy, and it's important to remember. If someone is overtaken in a trespass, God calls you and I to walk alongside them. God calls you to try to help them. Fourth implication is that the goal is always restoration. Always restoration. And that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to restore people. He's in the business of people restoring. He wants us to be used in his field, used as one of his laborers to help other people where they can go out and also do the hard work. When Peter denied Christ in the Gospels, when Peter was shown to be against Christ in that moment of weakness, he, as soon as Jesus was resurrected, through the angels, he says, and go get Peter. And this is after the denial. He says, go get Peter. Why? Why would somebody want to go get somebody like that would deny you? The text says, go get Peter. Because it was time for Peter to be restored. God is in the business of restoring people. When Jesus is talking to him at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And in the process, Jesus says, so go work. Feed my flock. He puts him to work. Jesus is in the process of restoring so that by Acts chapter 2, Peter has started the church. Restoration is powerful. It's redeeming. And we all have the energy to do it. The goal is always restoration. So imagine if every single person in this church, in local churches everywhere, was committed to this work, to, committed to walking in the spirit and helping carry other people's loads or burdens. Right? That would be incredible, right? That would be Awesome, that would be fascinating. 
so I've, I've seen very few churches that do this work of the ministry very well. And it's almost sad. And to do it in such a way that God commends it and God commands it. And we know that most churches, if not all, will not be perfect in this area. But it is something we should know that we are supposed to do. We try to make a church that functions around this call to restore people and to bear burdens. It takes people using energy that God gives to walk in the spirit and to carry other people's burdens. Fifth implication and last one. We want to seek to manage our own backpack. Why? Because it makes it possible to serve other people well. We want to be able to manage our own load and so that we could help other people and so that we can help fulfill the law of Christ. So how do we manage our own backpack? Through self-counsel. We do it through diligent work. We do it through constant preparation. And so be aware of this caution when thinking about bearing our own loads, our own personal backpack. Don't wish for what others may have in their backpack. Right? The reality is you don't know what's in their backpack. You don't know what's in someone else's backpack. You have no idea how heavy it is. You have no idea what's hidden in there. And so we don't want to look at other people's backpacks or loads and wish for what was in there. We're responsible for our own load. It may look nice on the outside, but you have no idea what's on the inside. So with that in mind, you manage your own load. You manage the things that God has put in your backpack. It is yours and yours alone. But in a sense of being alone, we're not really alone. We have all the energy we need. Nothing that we can do in of ourselves procures our salvation nor keeps it. And it's all energized by God. So law of Christ being fulfilled means modeling our whole life on the example of Christ, motivated by grateful joy. It is a life centered on a person rather than a code or a law or legalism. We have a different kind of obligation upon us that, that we had before. And now we bear other people's burdens because, guess what? Christ bore ours. Christ bore ours. So if I were to summarize verses 1 through 5, verse 1 could be summed up as restore people in gentleness and by doing this, follow in the footsteps of Christ who ultimately restored you to God the Father through the gospel. Verse 2 could be summed up as bear others' burdens and by doing this, follow in the footsteps of Christ who bore ours. Verses 3 through 4 can be summed up as walk in humility as Christ walked in humility, right? Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours, right? It's yours. You have this in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or something to hold on to, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And finally, verse 5 can be summed up as bear your own load. Bear your own load, which is different from burdens. Bear your own load and please God with the responsibilities and gifts that God has given you with the purpose of serving others well. So, what is our gospel reminder? Right? We came at this text and it's directly towards the local body. But for those that have never heard Christ before or are hearing it for the first time, Christ's burden is easy. His yoke is light. We need to remind ourselves constantly of the gospel and what that means. We need to remind ourselves that we are, I am, you are a sinful person who deserves God's wrath. And that God himself entered this world as man, that he bore all our sin and condemnation. That was our burden, and he bore that. And that he suffered the wrath of God on our account, and that he died the death that you and I deserved. And that he rose in triumph, and all of his righteousness has been given to you and I. That is good news. That is excellent news for you. And... It's not just good news for those that haven't heard Christ. It's good news for those that have Christ. Right? The gospel isn't just gospel unto salvation. It's gospel unto change. Right? It's not just the ABCs of salvation. It's the A through Zs. So the question I want to ask you this Lord's Day, in light of our text, is there gospel I need to apply today? Yes. Always. Is there sin I need to confess? Yes, always. Is there truth I need to embrace? Is there doctrine I need to study? Is there joy I need to pursue? Let's pray. Good and gracious Father, Lord, we, we love you. We thank you for everything that you have done in our lives and continue to do. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the energy that you have given us in order to serve one another well and to please you. Lord, help us to be reminded of your gospel. Help us to remind each other to bear one another's burdens, to help restore those that are broken, to back to a place of, of usefulness. Lord, we know that you are in the business of restoring broken people. And we're all broken. 
but in Christ you have mended our broken state. You have repaired us. You have restored us to a place of usefulness. Lord, help us to challenge one another, to stir up one another throughout this week, to live in the one another passages. Consider one another this week. And all these things we ask in your name. Amen.